Something happened on Tuesday, which we'll, I'll show you a little bit. I'll share it with you in a little bit. Something happened on Wednesday, and then something happened on Thursday, and there's a linking connection to all of them. And I thought, this, I believe, needs to be said this morning, except here's what's going to be different. My, as I said, my professor would shoot me. I'm going to do far more reading during the course of this service than I ever have. And yet I think every single thing needs to be read that we're going to read. Is that okay? We're going to begin with Scripture. That's always a great place to begin because we're talking about baptism. We're coming back to this. Are you with me? We're coming back to this. All right. I want to begin. We're, our text for today is actually the book of Jude. So no better place to begin than the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5 verse 18, because this is going to give us understanding as to what we're doing in a little bit. Romans chapter 5, by the way, Romans as a book is based upon Paul raising questions. You read that book, he'll raise a question, he'll answer it. He'll raise a question, he'll answer it. He'll raise a question, he'll answer it. So he's answering a question by the time we get to the end of chapter 5, magnificent passage that is there. And he answered, finishes his discussion with verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. That's Adam when he fell, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And so we're, he's, he's showing us the, the conclusion to the discussion about how Christ is the solution to the problem that Adam caused. Moreover, the law entered that sin might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so now he makes this statement about grace reigning through righteousness because of what Christ has done and overcome the concerns of the law, all right? And that grace will always uh, be more abundant than the sin, so it's able to cover it. Chapter 6, verse 1, having said that, he knows in his readers' minds it could raise a question. So he's raising the question that he knows his readers might pose. What shall we say then? See, puts forth a question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If sin is superabounded by grace, shall we just continue to sin so that grace abounds? Certainly not. And can I say this right here? A proper understanding of, God, of the gospel of grace in the person of Jesus Christ never opens the door to the permission to sin. And that, hey, this is, we, now that we have this, it's our excuse, it's our ticket, it's our carte blanche to go out sin, out and sin. Never the case. So I just want to make that clear. Certainly not, he says in verse 2. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What this transaction that has taken place 
which is in baptism, we're going to have this outward expression of an inward reality, as some have said it. We have been identified in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection so that after the resurrection, he came back and lived in this new life. Sin had been conquered. That's how we are to live. And that's what baptism is teaching. We have entered into a new life. For with, verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has a dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm going to stop there. We could actually continue through the entire sixth chapter of the book of, the book of Romans. Okay? But what we're seeing as we go under the waters, a death, a burial under the water, and then this raising to new life, this is what we are demonstrating. This is how we are being identified with Jesus Christ on our behalf. And that's what these five will be entering into. And it always points towards living a new life. A life not engaged in seeking sin, but instead turning away from that. We clear on that? Are we good? Because we will see there are some who can get that a little bit confused. All right, now let's come to our text for today, knowing that we have that bit of a groundwork. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness, contrary to what we just read about Romans, they turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Certain men have crept in unnoticed. I, I noticed, As we went through these last three books prior to getting to Revelation in this series, something, something struck me that I've never put them in this kind of context before. Again, two weeks ago, Miles spoke on 3 John. And there he pointed out to us that in the culture in that day, there was constantly uh, people going out carrying messages. There were teachers of different sorts. they go out and they would carry messages. And those who went out with the truth... Third John points out that they were well to receive those coming with a message that was true and to get behind them and support their work. Second John referenced 
the same type that there are people going out carrying messages, but Second John, written to a different person, said, now one thing you need to be careful of, not everybody who comes with a message comes with truth. And you must learn how to discern that which is not true, that which is in error. You must avoid welcoming them into your home or greeting them even. Because in so doing, you're giving a blessing to what they're doing. You're entering into the dark teaching that they're bringing. You actually become partners with them in their evil deeds. So that was those who go out carry truth. Those who have gone out carry falsehood. Here's how you deal with each of them. But here, Jude writes, those who are already in your fellowship. And there are some who are within the fellowship, whether specifically in that church or other church. I'm sure it was happening in other churches around. So certain men have crept, have crept in unnoticed. They quietly have come in and people didn't realize that there's, a, there's something wrong here. There's something out of, out of place here in terms of its, uh, uh, what these men are bringing. And so they creep in and they begin to get a foothold with their teaching. And he is exhorting them that we are to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. There's a truth, he says, an embodiment of truth that we must stand for. John wrote the same similar thing when we gave the illustration of, of being in the light and not going out of it, not transgressing out into darkness. Jude is saying, look, they're already in your fellowship. Now notice what he says about these who are within the fellowship. One, they've turned the grace of our God into lewdness, totally contrary to, uh, to Romans chapter 6, which we just read about God's grace never opens the door to permission to sin uh, because we have a deeper understanding of what sin is, and, and that sin is death. And because sin is death, God's grace isn't going to encourage us to walk in death. God's grace says, hey, we're calling you out of there. The gospel message is to bring you out of the death, not to say, hey, jump in and have fun, because ultimately it's not fun. It's death. Okay. So notice verse 5. But I wanted to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he, was re he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the sittings around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So notice, in each of these cases, what he is pointing out is a situation where you have those who, uh, those who are contrary to the things of God, those who are embracing the dark kingdom within the fellowship of those who are seeking to walk in light. And in those cases, each one, he says, and God is able, don't lose sight of that, God is able to cut them away, and each of them falls under a just judgment. They don't all get you know, embraced as a good thing. All right, so that's the first thing that he points out is God being able to separate these things out. Likewise, also, these dreamers, those who wind up in the midst of our fellowships, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. And that is probably angelic 
uh, the angelic realm of dignitaries, those in authority. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Because Michael recognized that Satan does have power. He had authority. He's told to, we're told that he has, he's the prince of the power of the air. And uh, so, you know, Michael's like, hey, I'm not messing with you, all right? God will rebuke you. But these, they're the ones who are within the fellowship, these speak evil of whatever they do not know. They're ignorant, and they're out there speaking whatever it is they want to speak, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. In these things, they corrupt themselves. These, these people aren't recognizing that there, there are authorities that they're speaking against and things that they don't even understand, and they're out there pushing their doctrines, okay? He says, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. You remember Cain is the one who, who uh, slew his brother Abel. They have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for prophet, who was willing to put himself out there and prophesy against the people of God, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These were people who did not want to be under the rule that, or the authority that God invested in Moses. And he says, they're like these, these people that we have accounted for us in the Old Testament who are constantly uh, walking against the things of God. He now says, he puts them in that category, these are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And he gives all these descriptive phrases about who these people are within their midst that he says, this is what they're about, and ultimately they're on their way to a judgment that God will bring. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, uh, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment at all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own godly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. So these are the ones you've got to keep an eye out for because they have crept in. But you, beloved, verse 20, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. So that's the book of Jude. Jude is laying out this dire warning that there are people who creep in and they bring doctrines that are embracing 
things contrary to who Christ is, contrary to what the gospel of grace would instruct us about walking in holiness. Instead, they see grace as a means of walking in lewdness. That's Jude. Now I have a little more to read. And this is where it gets really, I realized, I, I have no other way to look at it. It's somewhat cumbersome. But it had to do with my week. On Tuesday, I turned to read a particular website that I have not read since before Thanksgiving. And one I've always trusted, and they have good, solid writing. I just wanted to step out of the realm of, uh, of this particular website for a while and take a break. I read one article. It was this. And so I'm going to read to you. It's the title of the article is When Culture Wins Hearts and Minds. Written by a Robin Smith, August 12th. And I could read the entire article here. But what makes a man, specifically a pastor, leave his wife of over 20 years, his three teenage children, his ministry, and his entire faith, and publicly apologize for not supporting homosexual relationships and unions. Joshua Harris, former lead pastor of Covenant Life Church, a megachurch in Gaithersburg, Maryland, was best known for his monstrously popular book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which he wrote at 21 years of age. He served as pastor from 2004 to 2015 until departing for British Columbia for graduate studies at Regent College. Regent College is, if I'm not mistaken, at least it was years ago, a very conservative school. In recent weeks, Harris announced to the world that he had not only decided to abandon his pulpit, but also his family and even his faith. The accounts posted via Instagram show that he and his wife have made a mutual decision to separate. Perfectly fitting for today's informal, less-than-committed culture, the post featured a photo of Harris and his wife announcing their plans to continue our life together as friends. That's a quote. While alluding to, again, quote, significant changes faced by the couple during passing years. A side note. Life is forever changing, but that does not equate with marital separation nor with the need of, to abandon one's beliefs. Yet, what a dramatic conflict in the heart, mind, and body of one who preached covenant relationships and their importance to God, even as an author who taught the call to purity in teen lives was clearly moved from what had been a very legalistic view to the polar opposite, right? From a kiss dating goodbye, now the polar opposite, going as far away from that as you can, appearing to skip that middle ground, by lurching headlong into the ideology of secularism, this is apparently the story of Joshua Harris. So there's just one guy that was Tuesday's, my Tuesday's experience. I kind of went, whoa. Uh, I recall when that book was out. It wasn't like I was out there propagating or promulgating it or anything like that, but I recall that it was out and I went, huh, because it had cre created quite a stir in our circles in conservative Christian circles. It was, you know, like, wow, this is really amazing, isn't it? Okay. I'm going to take you to, that was Tuesday. I came across that as I kind of blew my mind as far as that. And uh, then Wednesday, 
When my son was with us this last week. We have his kids with us right now. We have three of them. He took the fourth one back. He came with, and so we enjoyed being with his family, and uh, he um, was helping me do some work on my garage. But on Wednesday, in our conversations together, he started talking, and God's doing some serious things in his life, and he began to talk about their church, and their church is wrestling with this question, which I've seen other little bits and pieces of whether or not churches ought to be singing music from a group called uh, a church or a group called Hillsong. They put out a lot of music. And I thought it was interesting that we wound up in this conversation. He's like, Dad, where do we, where do we go with that? Because their, their congregation and their worship ministry team, in fact, that's why he left yesterday. He's leading part of a worship ministry team right now in their church in Two Harbors. Um, their worship ministry team is struggling with this. What do you do? And it was interesting to hear him describe changes he's making in his life in terms of what he's willing to listen to because of wanting to, uh, wanting to keep a more focused perspective on who Jesus Christ is and on truth and on things that are honoring to God. So that was Wednesday's conversation. And then Thursday... My friend Mason Peters, who spoke here a couple weeks back, man, didn't he do an amazing job? Oh, that guy is good. I really do appreciate him. Uh, he sent me a text with a link, and he said, I thought you might want to, I thought you might want to see this, because on Tuesday we talked a little bit about the I Kiss Dating Goodbye guy, okay? And uh, he had been aware of it, and I had not. That was new to me. So he sent me this link. And this is where it now gets even deeper because I asked Brenda, I said, Brenda, I really think we need to have this in the bulletin. I want people to have this in their hands. And you might think, well, that's sufficient in itself, isn't it, Gary? Well, hopefully it is. But guess what? <laughs> I'm going to read the large portion of that that you have in your bulletin. I don't want us to miss this. As I read it, I thought to myself, this guy's speaking much like Jude's exhortation, much like Jude's exhortation about being careful of those who are in your midst and uh, those who, who bring a message. One other thing on Wednesday. We threw this out in our discussion before I read that. Again, Miles pointed out to us, itinerant preachers who were going out in the day when Jude was being written, the day when John is being written. That's how they got their messages out. But we don't see a lot of itinerant preachers. Preachers. We don't see, that's not a real big part of our culture, but as we talked about it on Wednesday night, the question was raised in this way. Just because we don't have people coming to our doors or stepping into our churches doesn't mean there aren't people out there with messages that go out. We just have technology nowadays that allow these people to, to uh, broadcast their messages into the church, right? So we've already referenced one, a 21-year-old guy who was able to broadcast his message about, uh, about kissing, dating, goodbye via books, right? Sold a lot of books. Became very popular. He was like the man for a season, and people are talking about him, and, and people are discussing his book, and, and, you know, that's one way. We have things like, uh, one thing referenced with him, things like Instagram. Get a message out on Instagram. We have tweets. We have emails. But we have an internet that allows 
people to broadcast their message continually into our, into our events. We have publishing companies who want to communicate something. They want to communicate things to us, and they want to do it so that we will buy their materials that they, have, that they have put forth. Here's another means. So my point is simply this. Though, uh, Christian radio would be another place. Though, we don't have itinerant preachers coming physically into our building or to our homes, there are those with messages going out there. And it, every bit as much coming into us. Is it not? You see what I'm saying? You see this? Jude wrote about those who have, those who have come in and uh, unnoticed. All right? I thought, I thought uh, Connie shared such a great word the other night on Wednesday night when we discussed this. Um, uh, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. It says here, she mentioned in, in our discussion, she mentioned about how subtle these things are that come into us. We don't know that something's happening here. Okay, so anyway, now Thursday, Mason sends me this, and I believe what, we, what I want to read, here is somebody who quoted this guy from Skillet, John Cooper from Skillet, wrote this article. Skillet is a, is a uh, Christian rock band. has been out there about 20 years. And uh, this guy, he's a little more seasoned, okay, than some of the young bands that are there, uh, that are out right now. But notice what he wrote. I want to just read, after that, starting in that second paragraph, because I don't want you to miss this. I thought this was so well written. Okay, I'm saying it because it's too important not to. What is happening in Christianity? More and more of our outspoken leaders or influencers who were once faces of the faith are falling away. We just referenced one. And at the same time, they're being very vocal and bold about it. Shockingly, they still want to influence others. For what purpose? As they announce that they are leaving the faith. I'll state my conclusion, then I'll state some rebuttals to statements I've read by some of them. Firstly, I never judge people outside of my faith. Even if they hate religion or Christianity, that is not my place, and I have many friends who disagree with my religion, and that is 100% fine with me. However, when it comes to people within my faith, there must be a measure of loyalty and friendship and accountability to each other and the Word of God. My conclusion for the church, that's all of us Christians, that's the church, you know, big C. My conclusion for the church, we must stop, notice the capitals, because this is brought in exactly as he put it on Facebook. We must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influences or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. Wow. That is firmly stated, and it's firmly stated by somebody from within that group, okay? Firmly stated by the one who is in the music world of, of Christian music. And yes, that includes people like me. I've been saying for 20 years, and seem probably quite judgmental to some of my peers, that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth as well as 
21-year-old authors who have this idea as to, hey, here's how we're going to go about this. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from, this, from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the Word. I'm not being rude to my worship leader friends, many who would agree with me, in saying that singers and musicians are good at communicating emotion and feeling. We create a moment and a vehicle for God to speak. That, and that, that's a good thing. All right, that, that good worship brings us to a place where we're ready to hear the word of God. Wonderful. He says, however, singers are not always the best people to write solid Bible truth and doctrine. Sometimes we are too young, too ignorant of Scripture, too unaware or too unconcerned about the purity of Scripture and the holiness of the God we are singing to. Have you ever considered the disrespect of singing songs to God that are untrue of his character? And this was the discussion that, that, uh, that I had with my son on Wednesday. This is why this was all stirring in my mind this week. What he, he, he described a particular song. He said, Dad, here's a song that we have sung, and it's got that emotions and it's got the feelings. He said, but Dad, if you go through the lyrics, then by the time you're done, it's been all about me. He says, it's all about me. And so I get into this motion, and yeah, God loves me, when that's true. <laughs> but if the call is to always about me, he said, there's something wrong in that. And that's why their worship team is, is wrestling with this. And by the way, we need to be thankful that we have Evan, who really tries to watch very seriously the doctrine that is coming forth in the music that we are singing. We could be thankful for that. I have a few specific thoughts and rebuttals to statements made by recently disavowed church influencers. First of all, I am stunned that the seemingly most important thing for these leaders who have lost their faith is to make such a bold new stance. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Basically saying, I've been living and preaching boldly something for 20 years and led generations of people with my teachings, and now I no longer believe it. Therefore... I'm going to boldly and loudly tell people it was all wrong while I boldly and loudly lead people into my next truth. I'm perplexed why they aren't embarrassed, humbled, ashamed, fearful, confused. Why be so eager to continue leading people when you clearly don't know where you are headed? Jude references that, those who have no clue what they're talking about. So I say, this guy's... Kind of got the spirit of Jude here in his, in his letter. My second thought is, why do people act like being real covers a multitude of sins? As if someone is courageous simply for sharing virally every thought or dark place. That's not courageous. It's cavalier. Have they considered the ramifications? As if they are the harbingers of truth, saying, I used to think one way and practice it and preach it, preach it, but now I've learned all the new truth and we'll start practicing and preaching it. So the influencers become the voice for truth in whatever stage of life and whatever evolution takes place in their thinking. They're serious thoughts that we need to give consideration to. Thirdly, there is a common thread running through these leaders, influencers, that basically says that, quote, no one else is talking about the real stuff. No one else is talking about the real stuff. This is just flatly false. That needs to be said. 
Okay? It's false. I just read today in a renowned worship leader statement, how could a God of love send people to hell? No one talks about it. As if he is the first person to ask this. Brother, you are not that unique. The church has wrestled with this for 1,500 years. Literally. Everybody talks about it. Children talk about it in Sunday school. There's like a billion books written on the topic. Just because you don't get the answer you want doesn't mean that we are unwilling to wrestle with it. We wrestle with Scripture until we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Is that not a powerful statement? See, he's calling us to stay true to the Word, not to let the culture define who we are. We wrestle with Scripture until we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And lastly, and most shocking, I think it should be to me because the guy who quoted him took it exactly as it had been written. As these influencers disavow their faith, they always end their statements with their new insights, new truth, that is basically a regurgitation of Jesus' words. It's truly bizarre and ironic. They'll say, I'm disavowing my faith, but remember, love people, be generous, forgive others. Um, why? That is actually not human nature. No child is ever born and says, I just want to love others before loving myself. I want to turn the other cheek. I want to give my money away to others in need. Those are Bible principles taught by a prophet slash priest slash king of kings who wants us to live by a higher standard, which is not an earthly standard, but rather the kingdom of God standard. Therefore, if Jesus is not the truth, and if the word of God is not absolute, then by preaching Jesus' teachings, you are endorsing the words of a madman, a lunatic who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He also said that he was alive before Abraham, and to see him was to see God because he was one with God. So why then would, we, would, would a disavowed Christian leader promote that generosity is good? How would you know what is good without Jesus' teachings? And will your ideas of what is good be different from year to year based on your experience, culture trends, popular opinion, etc.? And furthermore, will you continue year by year to lead others into your idea of goodness even though it is not absolute? I'm amazed that so many Christians want the benefits of the kingdom of God, but with the caveat that they themselves will be the king. This is powerful stuff, people. Powerful stuff. It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the Word and to value the teaching of the Word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. And what we are seeing now is the result of the church raising up influencers who do not supremely value truth, who have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. And now those disavowed leaders are proudly still leading and influencing boldly away from the truth. And that was what Second John was writing about, about those who transgress here, there in the truth, and they move on, move right on out of it, go into darkness. Is it any wonder that some of our disavowed Christian leaders are letting go of the absolute truth of the Bible and subsequently their lives are falling apart? Further and further they are sinking the sea, uh, in the sea all the while shouting, now I found the truth, follow me. Brothers and sisters in the faith all around the world, pastors, teachers, worship leaders, influencers, I implore you, that's us, 
Please, please, in your search for relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of our culture by stifling inconvenient truths. But rather, let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God, for he changes not. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. I don't know if I've ever seen something so similar to a particular book of the Bible as that. And I just felt like we have to look at this. Take it home. Read it. Think about it. Share it with others. But it's a call to the truth of the word of God. Not to letting our culture define what we believe, what we think, what we say. All right, so with that, here's a couple of thoughts. Number one, because our culture is such, because technology is such, we can create celebrities, right? People who are world famous. And then we think how cool it is that they're world famous, and maybe we got to see them, and they're world famous. And I recall a number of years ago, Randy, I think it was the last time Randy had me at, uh, at a youth conference with him, Challenge, and... Dustin and Kachi would have been there. Was there a band called Butterfield something or other? Why does Butterfield stand in my mind? Do you recall? Do you remember what the band, who the band was? Oh, yeah, they were awesome, man. Ren Collective was sweet. Maybe it was, a, maybe, okay, maybe it was something else. Anyways, here's this band. They got up. They did some good singing. I didn't know who they were. But clearly some of the others around us knew, uh, some of the others around us knew who they were. And I remember when I got done and I, was, I, I, I left for a moment and I walked by the stage and I thought to myself, honestly, I really did, thought, good job, young people. That was good worship music. But I want to see where you're at in 40 years. Because I see, I see these young girls who are acting like, woo, you're all that. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I've, run out, I've worn out enough pair of shoes to know that somebody like you who has the, idola- the, the idolizing of these young girls because you have some, some couple of songs out there on Christian radio that have made you well-known, I'm unimpressed. Sorry. I hope you continue to walk with Jesus Christ. But you are untested. You're being elevated. You're being lifted up. You're the celebrity. What I would like to remind us, friends, within the church, there is but one celebrity no others we have one celebrity and the rest are sinners saved by the grace of God that's it and in case you're not catching who I mean Jesus Christ is the singular celebrity so let's be careful as we tend to exalt people because our society does that and because fame can 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 be worldwide now all right another thought We need to be engaging younger generations in ministry. You're hearing me talk about this now. I am so excited that Katja ministered today. I'm excited that Dustin is going to be helping with the baptism. All right. Uh, When I asked him if he would, I sent him a text. He was a very excited response. And you know what he said? Who is it so I can be praying for them? That is awesome. Okay. And Ellard is going to be out helping on the outside of the pool. All right. We need to be engaging them. I love them. I love their involvement. In fact, was Amber with when you two were 
baptized? Or was it just the two of you? It was just the two of you. Okay. I remember them being baptized out at Old Mill, and the mosquitoes were crazy. But how cool is it that now they're here at a baptismal service, that Katja is ministering in music, Dustin is actually going to get in the water with me and help in that process. That's wonderful. And we need to make sure we're providing for these young people to be coming along, growing, learning with us. But we're not turning the reins of the church over to you quite yet. All right? Because... They have a lot of growing to do yet, don't they? So we need to be praying for them. We need to be, be, a, be prayer warriors on their behalf. Another thought, what's cool? What is cool in the church? What is cool? Because our world will tell us, you know, big name bands with all their merchandise and you get to meet them and you can probably pay extra money and, you know, go to the after the show show and meet them and talk to them and all of that. That's cool. I'm sorry, I don't believe it. I abandoned the coolness of that a long time ago. I'm telling you what's cool because this is what God affirms. And if we're seeking to have our minds renewed, we need to consider what God affirms, not what our culture would tell us, oh, this is really cool. Okay, what's cool is Grandpa Bob still getting excited about giving out Gideon Bibles. Still excited about being faithful and walking with Jesus Christ. What's cool is Larry retiring from our board after 60, 62 years, 62 years, I think it was, of uninterrupted service on our board. That's cool. That's what we ought to be, ought to be raising up in the minds of our young people and raising up in our own minds to say, I want to be that faithful. Okay, what's cool is Wendell sitting back here. When that guy spoke, a couple, and four of those five guys from SDS spoke about being welcomed on Monday nights, Wendell was one of a number of men I've watched time and time and time again accept these guys and minister to them and be a friend to them and encourage them. That's cool. Arnold Shervin still bringing friends to the man cave this last year, still bringing his neighbor. That's what's cool. I realize our culture says, what? Every one of those guys you picked out is somebody old. They're all older than me. But I've come to respect that and hold that as significant because I have watched. I could have given you my own people that these have written about. Those who have just, they were so cool when they were young, and they were so sold out to Jesus, what happened? So what's cool is those who decades upon decades have proven to be faithful, and God is going to say, that was cool. So we're going to do a baptism. And it's about lives being changed, transformed, from being identified in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool. But I want to encourage you. Pray for these young kids. Pray for those who are putting themselves out on the line today. All right? That they will finish well. That they will finish well. 
Because any one of us at any one time is susceptible to somehow just getting derailed. And that's not what we want. Are we good? Are we good?